This is Chris Fetters of Dogman.com, and I'm here with Kim Grinolds and Scott Eklund, and we are doing things just a little different this time around. Being kind of early December-ish, and we're in the giving mood, being the holidays and everything like that, you know, it's it's time to send out a mailbag, and uh, actually, I give credit to Kim for this one. He decided that uh, we should probably do a, a podcast mailbag, first time ever. You still feeling good about this decision, Kim? I don't know. We call it doing a mailbag. I just decided to let you drive the bus for a change. So just uh, stay in your lane, honk the horn a couple of times and don't open the doors prematurely. Well, I'll be good, Chris. Okay. well, fantastic. I have run the bus before a time or two. Scott's run the bus a time or two before as well. So we're all cognitive drivers. We know how to go. But we'll start this thing out slow because this has been a question that's been on the forefront of every Washington fan's minds from the end of the season and wondering what the future is going to be looking like, especially for the coaches. So the first question that we got in the ask dog man thread on our, on our, on our hardcore board is from a guy named stinky cabbage or from, I should say a person named stinky cabbage. Great. He's been around for a while, by the way, 230 months, apparently. Yeah. Long time subscriber. Question is, when will the coaching staff's extension be announced? Hopefully before Christmas, or I'll be getting really nervous. Pay the man is basically what they said. Do we yeah. have any thoughts on this? Yeah, just from my understanding, there's an offer on the table, you know, so it's up to uh, Galen DeBoer. It's his move. So um, I expect something to happen, you know, if not this week, maybe even by the time we're done recording this or possibly into next week. You just have to remember who his agent is, is. Agent is Jimmy Sexton, who is Jimmy Lake's uh, agent. It's uh, Ryan Grubb's agent, and uh, he represents a lot of people. But um, lots of things, <clears throat> and I put this out on the message board, lots of factors go into this. It's not only just the coach's salary that you have to, you know, you're not just looking at a number. You're looking at the length of the contract, the buyout, guaranteed money, assistant salaries pool for your assistant coaches as well as, well as NIL commitments. And then there's the other perks and benefits that go in there and also hearing that a lot of coaches now are asking for escalator clauses and the right to terminate the contract at a certain time if certain things happen. So it's a little bit more complicated than just coming up with a number. But from my understanding, you know, it sure sounds like there's an offer on the table for him. So hopefully we'll get that done and um, Scott, if I'm if I'm correct on this, I think there's only one coach that was on a one year salary, and that's um, uh, uh, Juice Brown. Juice yeah. Brown. So we'll yeah. see if he gets extended, and all the other coaches have um, uh, two year contracts, so they've got another year left on their contract. And when you go 13 and 0 in the regular season and go into the college football playoff, other schools are going to be calling your assistant coaches and <laughs> and, yeah. and, and looking at uh, them for possible replacements on their staff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And Washington, you know, the the thing is Washington, you know, is in the college football playoffs. So and that takes place on the 1st of January. So I got to believe that Ryan Grubb is at least going to interview for a job or two. Maybe we'll see. Um, I think he he thinks he can, you know, probably get a little higher profile job than it's out there right now. I think the Iowa job makes a ton of sense. But um, Kirk Ferentz, I don't think is going anywhere, at least this year. So um, we'll just have to wait and see on that. But, um, 
Yeah, I, I, I expect a bump for all the all the assistant coaches. I think the one of the things that that Kalen DeBoer is going to push for is the fact that he wants his assistants taken care of. He wants a larger pool for his assistants. Um, I still hold true to the thing that I think there's going to be at least two or three uh, assistant coaches that move on to other jobs. We'll have to wait and see on that uh, because they probably won't leave until after signing day or, well, I mean, I don't even think they'd leave after signing day because Washington's got a game on January 1st. So they wouldn't even leave until after that at the earliest, but um, you know, hopefully Washington's playing on, is it the ninth that the, or is it the eighth that the, uh, yeah, the eighth Um, hopefully uh, Washington's playing in that game. So maybe those coaches wouldn't be able to leave until after that, but um, that's where I kind of think where things are going. Hey, hey, Chris, I think the the coaches that are going to get targeted on Washington staff is I expect people to <clears throat> excuse me reach out to uh, Jamarcus Shepard. I think Jamarcus eventually at some point wants to be um, a, um, a head coach. And then the other guy that I think a lot of people are going to contact, especially after the last couple of games, I think a lot of people are going to call Scott Huff. And that's a name that hasn't been mentioned a lot. So I think a lot of people would come after Scott Huff. I think he's a highly desirable guy. And um, well, uh, Huff, Huff did interview last year at a couple a uh, couple places that's been kind of under the radar. But um, he, he did interview at a couple places for um, not necessarily OC jobs, but um, co-OC jobs as well as offensive lines. So right. that he's definitely one that I, I agree with you, Kim, is, is one for people to keep an eye on. Yeah. And I know Nick Sheridan, the tight end coach, eventually wants to be an offensive coordinator as well. The yep, only thing I'd add, the only thing I'd add, guys, to this contract uh, question is the fact that we know for a fact when we've asked for copies of the contract through the athletic department, what have you, is that when we get them isn't necessarily when they get signed. I mean, we've gotten contract information in February, for instance, but contracts have been signed back in December. So you never know. This this is always an ongoing process. And I guarantee you one of the first things that Troy Dannon did when he first got to Washington was to take a good look at what the contract situation was, not just for football, but I'm sure for all of the sports to make sure that he was well versed and, and educated on what he needed to know and who he needed to target right away when it comes to these negotiations, because it's not just the coach that he's dealing with. But it's also agents. It's also other people that are in these that are in these circles. And Chris, the way it works is, you know, in case the people don't know, typically a lot of the time we get an MOU, a memorandum of understanding that is signed. And once that memorandum of understanding um, is um, signed, a lot of the time we get a copy of that within a day or two. But then the contract usually follows up at a later date because they, uh, being a public university, they have to go through the legal department and there's a process that they have to go um, through on that. So, um, yeah, I would expect when this gets done, I think it would be within a couple of days that we'd get a copy of the MOU. Yeah. And I would also say too, Kim, that when it comes to MOUs, those are usually with either first-time coaches or what have you, I would think this would more or less just be extension language. Yeah. But it, but but the language itself in terms of the money involved and things like that would not be inconsequential. I mean, we're talking about DeBoer is probably going to either double or triple his salary right off the bat. Um, that's pretty substantial. So it's, it's one of those things where, um, yeah, I wouldn't think that they necessarily would just wait and sit on an announcement like that. But are we thinking, guys, that they're waiting for the right time? Do they think that there's a a sweet spot here where an announcement would have the greatest impact as opposed to 
putting it out there literally right after it happens? I just think that, you know, with the agent, Jimmy Sexton, um, you know, Jimmy's always got his guys looking for the next best thing. So uh, <laughs> Jimmy Sexton is the equivalent of baseball, Scott Morris. So I think that Kalen DeBoer wants to get be here, wants to get here. And I think that um, they would want to get it out here pretty quick. I think Kalen would, too, because or in transfer portal season, they want to be assured that the head coach is going to be here. And I think that means a lot. So I would expect them not to wait too long on us. Do you agree with that, Scott? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely do. I don't, I don't have a lot to add to what you you guys have talked about already. So I, I just, yeah, absolutely. All right. Next question, Chris. Yep. We'll move to the next question. This one is from dog Vader 91. Another good handle. Um, been here 245 months. So that's, that's some longevity. Kudos. 20, 20 years. Good night. Good job. Dog Vader 91. Thank you. Yes, this question is very straightforward, and we should have a pretty pretty good answer for this one, I think. How many Husky fans do you think will make it to the Sugar Bowl? Well, considering the issues with finding trips down there and everything like that, I'm going to go with um, 15 to 20. So we think right now the ticket allocation through the school is roughly what around twelve five thirteen thousand something like I that. I guess it. I don't think it's anywhere near that much. I'm not. I can't say well, for sure. The, the, let's see. Let's put it this way: that the the they can put up to eighty three thousand people in the Superdome. So yeah, it's that doesn't sound like a lot to me, Kim. I thought it, I thought I had heard it was around twelve five to thirteen. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll see. Um, I, based on what we saw down at uh, down in Vegas, I thought it was pretty evenly split down there. But I think going into the college football playoff, um, I think you're probably going to have about half of the crowd being uh, maybe 40 percent corporate neutral in the middle and then uh, probably heavier Texas and then a smaller Washington consist, uh, contingent given the. Uh, location down there. I think in the Rose Bowl, there would have been a hell of a lot more Washington fans, but uh, we're in New Orleans. And uh, I got a friend who, former Pac-12 uh, basketball referee, and he's actually flying into Mobile, Alabama and driving. So I think uh, Husky fans have had to get creative and it's uh, not exactly cheap flying during during the holiday season. So um, I, boy, it's just it's just hard to say, but I think a large percentage of the crowd is going to be that corporate uh, type crowd where a lot of the sponsors were given tickets and uh, those tickets were made available and just uh, neutral fans bought them. Probably a lot of Alabama and Michigan fans bought them, too. Yeah, I, I think two things are going to be true in this. First of all, it is going to be extremely difficult to travel from Seattle or from the Pacific Northwest down to New Orleans. It's not easy. And typically the only. Uh, airline that has had direct flights from SeaTac is Alaska Air, and kudos to Alaska Air. They've they've opened up more flights, and they're going to keep opening up more flights as long as demand is there. So I expect that's going to be a positive. I think the other thing, guys, is that because of where New Orleans is located, and it is pretty equidistant in terms of the coasts, I think we're going to find out what the real reach is of the Washington Alumni Network and find out just how serious Washington is a player in terms of their name from coast to coast. Hey, Chris, when we went down to the Peach Bowl, I mean, that was basically a home game for Alabama. I mean, do you think it's going to be the same down there in New Orleans? It was a home game for Alabama. Well, I'm going to say, I'm going to say this, Kim, and I'm not really going to go out on a limb with this one. I think it's going to be a little bit uh, better split than it was last year for the Alamo Bowl. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think I think there's going to be more not only more Washington fans at the Sugar Bowl, but there's going to be less of a, te- a Texas contingent compared to in terms of percentage in terms of what they were at the Alamo Bowl for obvious reasons. Yeah, no, it'll be be interesting to get down there. Let's put it this way. You would much rather if you had to face Texas in this scenario, you'd much rather face them now than if you had to play them in the national championship game in Houston, because that would be ridiculous. And so, yes. I, I, you know, whether, whoever. So let's say Washington loses the Sugar Bowl. Whoever faces Texas in the national championship game, whether it be Michigan or Alabama, they're going to be playing a home game <laughs> against yeah, Texas. Yeah, but Chris, you know, just they've had so many games this year when they went down to Arizona. That was parents weekend and it was an electric atmosphere down in Arizona. They went down to USC and that's probably the most electric crowd USC's had in a while, you know, so, and they've played wild games up here in Husky stadium. They had a wild game down in uh, Las Vegas with real rabid fans. So playing on the big stage in front of a loud crowd, I don't think really is going to impact Washington that much. The other thing Kim to consider is, is it, you know, Texas's, advantage in fans last year didn't translate to winning the game in San Antonio. So there there's that too. I mean, they will have a big advantage when it comes to crowd as they should, because new Orleans is located so close to Texas. That being said, can they turn it into an actual advantage? We'll see. Like you said, if about 35 to 40%, if a, if a good third, let's put it this way. If a good third of that crowd is basically corporate, LSU fans, neutral, whatever they are, will either team be able to actually treat that as as an advantage against the other team? Like when their defense is on the field, can they create enough noise to cause some offside or some some motion penalties or something like that? I I really wonder. I my my initial guess is I would think no. Yeah, well, the other thing that's interesting is, you know, just 12 months ago they played each other. So how much of the game plan from last year will uh, each one of these teams have? I mean, they've probably got in-depth scouting reports from last year that they can depend on with Washington. You know, the good thing is, uh, you know, I don't know if they planned on it, but Texas had no Bijan Robinson last year, which I think made a world of difference. So. Well, yeah, and that's true. There's no doubt about that. And they got they and got they were Caleb. missing their best middle linebacker, too. Yeah, right. they have Caleb Ewers back, which is a big for them. Now, we're not going to delve into the whole scouting report all that stuff it certainly looks like on paper there's been more turnover personnel wise for texas than there has been for washington at least in terms of the impact players so we're done with that one and and going to the next question and speaking of impact players this question comes courtesy of trout tramp which is uh, always a great handle um it's only been with us 25 months we gotta we gotta we gotta do something about that his question was, or their question was, how many impact players from this year's team will be back next year? Well, I mean, this I guess it's kind of a pseudo NIL question. Yeah, it, well, kind of. It's also a early to the NFL kind of question and all that. Um, you know, there, there's a lot. What do they lose? Is it 12 or 13 seniors? Like, obviously, Michael 15, Penix. I think 15 walked, 15? but a couple, okay. maybe one or two of them were walk ons, like yeah, Wheeler, yeah. Jason Wheeler. Yeah, so I mean, obviously Michael Penix won't be back. Uh, he he's used up all of his eligibility. Oh, so let's go through it real quick, Scott. Yeah, no Penix. So at running back, they lose Richard Newton. Mm-hmm. Receiver, I mean, there's no, no one. one. No one they lose in terms of eligibility, but yeah. they're fully expecting they could lose up to th- up to their top three. Guys. Yeah, let's let's just go through the guys that are graduating that cannot come back. Right. So so then you got tight end. You've got Culp and Westover are gone. 
You look at offensive line. There's there's the only one that's gone is Mateo Mele, and he was hurt. Defensive line, you've got Tule Latui Gasanoa. He's gone. MJ Ale is gone. Uh, edge players, ZTF is the only one that's gone. And what about Sakai? Oh, and Sakai. Sakai, Sakai yep. is gone too, yep. Linebacker, it's Ulafoshio and Raylan Goforth. Uh, defensive back, you've got um, now Asa Turner can come back because he could potentially have he redshirted. Him. Yep. Um, but you're looking at Jabbar Muhammad could come back as well. He's he does have one year if he needed it, but basically that's it. Yeah. yeah just kind Dom, Dom, Dom Hampton, I think Dom Hampton. Dom Hampton. Yep. I mean, getting back to the guys of the impact players, I think the people what they're talking about is more guys like uh, Roger Roger Rosengarten can go. Will he return? Uh, Troy Fautanu could return. Um, he could go. Um, Carson Bruner could go. Um, Jalen McMillan, will he be back? And I think those are probably the main yeah. guys people are talking no, about. No, as well Rome, as yeah, yeah. So um, Romo Dunze is gone. Uh, Braylon Trice is gone. Those those two guys are gone. Troy Fautanu very likely gone. From what I've heard about Roger Rosengarten is um, he is open to coming back, but I think a lot of it's gonna see what his draft grade is. If he's a second round draft choice, he's probably gone. But if he's not, then I think he'd be willing to talk to Washington about a possible NIL deal, maybe an insurance deal uh, for him, an insurance policy for him. Uh, Jalen McMillan, uh, Jalen Polk and Jalen McMillan can both come back and that would be huge for Washington if they could get those guys back. I think Jalen Polk is definitely gone. Jalen McMillan, from what I heard, was um, strongly leaning toward leaving at the beginning of the season, but then with the way the injuries went, he's willing to come, he's willing to at least talk about coming back. He would be wide receiver one for Washington. He would probably have I don't know, depending on the quarterback situation, obviously, but um, you know he could he could have 80 receptions, 1300 yards, and 15 touchdowns. For this team next year and that might really help improve his draft stock so um, I think there's definitely a shot of him coming back um, as far as the defensive line um, you know uh, I think Washington's going to have to hit the portal because they're not going to lose anybody that they could lose but um, all the guys that are graduating are, are important um, along the at the edge spots I think I think you've got everybody back except for Trice and ZTF um, and that that's definitely and Sakai, obviously. And then um, at linebacker, um, they're not losing Carson Bruner. Carson Bruner's here at least one more year. Yep. I think he plans to be a starter this coming season. Um, and, you know, with, you know, with uh, Alfonso Tupatala likely. And then in the secondary, Jabbar Muhammad is the biggest one that I think could be a returnee. I think just his size is never going to allow him to be a high draft choice. But if he's a second or third round draft choice, he's probably gone. But I think Washington could um, convince him to stick around with a NIL deal. So, Yeah, two guys that I think uh, taking a look at could go to the NFL, but I think they possibly could make more on NIL deals at Washington. First of all, Jabbar Muhammad, I think he could probably mm-hmm. make – because I I, don't, I think he's fifth round or later. He's just small yeah. and as good a cover corner as he is. I don't know if you remember Kelly Jennings with the Seahawks, you know, but uh, you know he's he's small. So Jabbar and he was getting posted up against some of the other teams like Arizona. So I'd, he could possibly make more an nil deal. And the other one we talked about earlier today when we before we started, Chris, Dylan Johnson can come oh, back yeah. for another. Yep. 
could Dylan Johnson make more on an NIL deal than he could? Because right now, I don't, you know, running backs don't go high in the draft. So I think he's probably a late round draft choice if drafted at all. Yeah. And Kim, you're right on that. But the thing about running backs is that, and then this is where NIL really helps. I've, I've always been kind of opposed to the NIL thing to a certain extent, especially for high schoolers coming in. But the, the established players have got no problem with NIL for. And this is where it could eventually help college football and the NFL because you're going to get quarterbacks who might leave early because they want to get start getting paid um, and and, you know, to play. But they aren't ready to be taken. So maybe they're taken in the sixth or seventh round. Well, now they stick around for one more year at their college because they can get NIL money. And then maybe improve their draft stock to becoming a second or third round draft choice. And that helps the college game. It helps the NFL game because they get more developed. Well, it's the same thing for running backs. Running backs, you know, Dylan Johnson is talented enough to play in the NFL. He has to find the right situation and a team has to fall in love with him and all those kind of things. I think it's better off for him to come back for at least one more season at Washington. I think, well, actually, I think this is his, this would be his last season uh, in 2024, but Washington's going to have to step up and give him an NIL deal. He's got a kid. He's got family that's all in the, in the South. Um, I know one, a part of his NIL deal was trying to get tickets for his families, for his family to be able to come up and watch him play. So, um, that's just something to keep an eye on. Um, I think he's a guy who could be convinced to come back. He really likes Lee Marks, loves the university, loves the culture around the program. I think, as Kim noted, um, that, He's a guy that should come back, but a lot of it's going to depend on what kind of NIL deal they get him. Yeah. Okay, good. Good answers there, guys. And we will move on to the next question. It's it's uh, sent to us by W Grit W, who's been with us for 182 months. So appreciate that. And his question is, for their question is pretty simple. Will there be a plan to play Zach Durfee in the playoff game? So for to give people... A bit of a background on him. Zach Durfee is the kid from Sioux Falls who came in lower level. He got scouted by the defensive coaches, and they think he's got a real high upside. But he wasn't just at Sioux Falls. He was at another school before, but he hadn't been playing football. But the NCAA decided that this was his second transfer, not his first. And so they didn't give him a freebie. So what happened was that Washington appealed the NCAA on it. They denied it. They I think they continued to appeal, deny, deny, deny. And now it was, it was the eligibility thing was for a year. So now that it's been a year since he was initially denied the, uh, the eligibility, he's, he's a free man. Zach Durfee is eligible to play in the sugar bowl. If they want to use him, do you guys think they'll use him? I think, there's a few people out there that are over their skis on uh, Zach Durfee. It's kind of like, you know, the most popular guy is the guy who doesn't play like the backup quarterback. But, you know, when you got Braylon Trice and ZTF, they're going to see a majority of the snaps. And then you take a look at what Jacob Lane, the pure freshman, has done uh, coming in, as well as Lance Holsclaw. Are you going to put Jacob, uh, are you going to put Zach Durfee ahead of, uh, of uh, uh, Lane and Holtzclaw? He hasn't played. He's never played at this level. He's never even played in a game. So I think people thinking he's going to come in and be some kind of a monster, I think you're going to be disappointed. Uh, he could see a couple of snaps, but I don't see him coming in and making an impact. No, I don't. I don't either. I, don't I was going to say, guys, I think I think the, the the at least the perception that I get on the boards isn't so much that they think Zach Durfee is going to be some sort of impact guy and 
and could end up making some key plays that end up being the difference in the game or something like that. I just think they want to see the kid play just for the benefit of, of understanding that, you know, he's had to wait so long and he's had to be so patient. He's had to continue to practice and be a part of the team without any benefit whatsoever. And so to me, that's kind of the, the, the feeling that I've gotten from the board, but I'm a hundred percent in alignment with you, Kim, on, on just in terms of the impact. I mean, you've got ZTF, you've got Trice, you've got Sakai, you've got Voitanufi, you've got Lane, you've got Holescall. I mean, all and Maurice Himes. Have, and Maurice Himes. And Maurice Himes. You've got all these guys that have been playing. You can't all of a sudden just sacrifice playing time for the guys that have been playing for you all year long just to allow a guy like Zach Durfee a few snaps. It just doesn't – it seems counterintuitive to the whole idea. Now, do I feel really, really bad for Zach Durfee? 100%. He got screwed. I mean, majorly screwed. But that you, you can't – just deviate from what you've been doing in terms of your preparation just to give a kid an opportunity to have an experience like that as much as everyone I think would want to and be in agreement that it's warranted. This because isn't, there, this there isn't like a game in play. the middle of the season that yeah. you're trying to get him some reps. This is a playoff game. Yeah. There, there are bigger things at play. Yeah. yeah you got two spots and you've got what, seven, eight guys in there and he's probably your sixth or seventh guy right now. And, and just to be real clear guys, if this was the Alamo Bowl, let him play. Who cares? But this is a national championship semifinal game. It, it just Trice, it, it, Trice may not may, Trice and ZTF may not be playing if it's the Alamo Bowl. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So yeah. You know, I just I don't I have a real hard time seeing him making much of an impact. Not that I don't think he could down the road, but throwing him in there in the mix this late in the season with and and not him not having any experience, any snaps other than just in practice at this level. I, I just, I have a hard time seeing that. Yeah. And you're not going to jump them over the guys that have been there all year. You're just not. Well, you might, but it's just not something you'd expect. Right. I mean, unless, unless he's literally just blowing the doors off and Chuck Morrell and William Inge have a package specifically for him where they think he can get to the quarterback and really do some damage. It's possible. I mean, it's always possible. But again, it just doesn't seem like it would be in line with what they've done all year. And see, I had a talk with Ryan Grubb about this because Durfee used to uh, play quarterback in high school. I'd like to see him in the in the Wildcat, the Durf Cat. What do you think? No, no, <laughs> no. Come on. No. Nick, next year against uh, Weber State, I want to see the Durf Cat. But anyway. playing without the ball is tough enough, Kim. Playing with the ball and you've got to hold on to the ball. There. You and go. you got to make decisions. Yeah. yeah. All, right. So. All right. Have we, have we, have we yeah. kind of We've exhausted, exhausted that the Zach yep. question? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're going to do one more question here and then we'll take a quick break and then we'll move to the final five. This last question of this first segment comes from Kevdog8668. who's been with us a wonderful 205 months. Appreciate that Kev. And his question's a bit, it, it's the, the foundation's a bit long winded, but, well, I'll get to it in just a sec. He said, 2016 was our last team to make the college football playoff. In my humble opinion, that team may have had more talent, especially on defense, but feel this team is set better for a playoff run in 2023. Do you guys expect to see this level of parity across the college football landscape with NIL that would make it hard for blue bloods like Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia to ever field teams 
like we saw in the earlier playoff era, similar to the 16 squad that had to play Alabama. I put this out on the board. It was what Rick Neuheisel said, Scott, and I think you're going to agree with me as well. Um, it's pretty been much common knowledge. The guys in the SEC have been being paid for the past decade or so, and the SEC has dominated the landscape of college football. And like Rick Neuheisel said, now everybody's getting paid. The field has been leveled. So a lot of the guys at Alabama was getting that top end talent. They're also getting paid by LSU, Georgia, and a lot of other schools. So I think that the playing field has leveled. And I think the days of that SEC dominance, I just don't see that carrying on, uh, you know, like it has in the past. Well, one of the one of the things to remember about one of the reasons why teams were able to just roll and and have five, six, seven straight years of where they're they're winning double digits and they're winning their conference, you know, let, let's say out, out of a decade, they're winning like seven or eight times. Let's say they're going out of a decade, they're going four or five times to the playoffs and maybe winning a championship or two. I just don't think you're going to see that anymore. And the big reason why is because the depth, you're just not going to have the depth anymore because, okay, look, I mean, look at Ohio state. What's happening there. Their starting quarterback left. He's in the portal. Same what with the Oklahoma. Same yeah, with Oklahoma. Oklahoma's guy. I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, it, it, this stuff wasn't happening back in those days. Guys waited their turn, and and they, you know, maybe as a, you know, fourth year junior, fifth year senior, they finally get the start, and then they're really good because they've had so many years of seasoning and being in the same system and everything like that. And you just don't have that anymore. And and so places like Alabama might be able to recruit, a, you know, multiple five stars there, but yeah. they're not keeping them. And I, mean, the, I, I, I think, think Ohio of, State has already lost um, three five star edge guys. Hey, Scott, I, mean, I think insane. the best example is the guy that I think he was committed to Alabama and wound up at Colorado with an NIL deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just and that's just one example. Yeah. But now some of that had to do with uh, the quarterback or not quarterback. I'm sorry, the coach at at uh uh Colorado and the fact that Colorado hadn't shown that they were going to win three games you know and but and that guy doesn't wind up at Colorado without an NIL probably deal. not probably not no and, but, and guys compare compare to the quarterback stuff at, at Ohio State and, and Oklahoma with Dylan Morris for instance Dylan Morris going into the 2022 season was a two-year starter now granted yeah. 2020 was a short year but he played all 2021 if he had wanted to leave in 2022 and go in through the portal and potentially get a decent NIL deal, he was in line to do that. He could have mm -hmm. done it. Someone would definitely have picked him up. No question in my mind. That's my opinion. But that, to me, this speaks more on not so much – well, it, it does speak to the NIL opportunities in general, like Kim said. They're everywhere now. They're not just in the in the power conference like the SEC or even to the, to the Big Ten. But it's – also, to me, a testament to the culture that you're fostering and, and you're growing at your particular school. When Dylan Morris was talking to us last winter or two winters ago about these decisions that he was having to make, he thought about, am I going to make the, the, the quick decision or am I going to make one that I'm thinking in terms of the long term, like coaching, for instance? And when he sees it, I mean, for instance, would any of us be surprised if Dylan Morris ends up being a GA for 2025 at Washington. Uh, no, it wouldn't surprise me there. Now I don't, I don't know any, if there's any truth to these rumors, but there's some rumors that he might 
just be done with football and be a GA this coming season. Now, I don't think that's going to be the case, but that's some of the rumors that are flying around out there. I don't, I'm, I, I have a hard time seeing that, especially if you can get another year under your belt, um, uh, you know, in this system and, and whoever Washington brings in as, as a transfer guy, he's going to battle him. And let's say that other guy wins the, wins the uh, job. He's one play away from, you know, being able to play. So I, I I have a hard time seeing, heck he has a knock on wood. He has a chance to play in the, in the national title game. You know, I mean, it just takes one hit on Michael Penix, knock on wood, you know? So, so, um, I, I don't know. I, and it's been, it's been that way for the last two years. Yeah, I know. I, and you know, Penix has been able to stay healthy, thankfully. And for Washington's sake, it's, it's been a good situation, but, um, and, and I mean, would you say, uh, granted, we don't know all the situations at every school. There's 133 schools in FBS, but Washington's got to have a top 10 situation at quarterback, especially at the back, uh, the the backup quarterback spot. I mean, I, I don't know if you have very many multi-year starters who are your backup. Oh, yeah. No, Washington's in a phenomenal situation with Dylan Morris backing up Michael Penix because it, it's been super, super important because their third string right now is a true freshman. Mm-hmm. And, he's, and he's a true freshman that reclassified to and uh, to to basically, and he's really he's super young. Austin Mack is super young, so again, it's it's just a given that they're going to find someone from the portal, and I'm sure they're going to find someone really good from the portal. And then there's a lot of names that have been floated out there. That being said, if you're if you're Dylan Morris, you are absolutely in prime position to not just compete at a high level against whoever they bring in, but probably be the starter in game one just because of your familiarity with the offense, your familiarity with Ryan Grubb, their trust in you because of what you've done for them the last two years. So there's a lot of things going on in Dylan Morris's favor on this, but it it is interesting to see what's going to happen because the NIL thing has completely changed the landscape in terms of who's available, who they can get, how Washington is competing at that particular level because people have to so so for people that don't necessarily understand the full the full scope of of name image and likeness which is what we're talking about these things are run by collectives that have no direct like legal link to the University of Washington these things are run independently and they're just basically it's just a way for 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 bone for donors and boosters to give cash Yep. These collectives and then the collectives will create agreements and create opportunities for these players to use their name, image and likeness in trade for cash or in trade for for a, a salary or check or whatever you want to call it. So sure, sure. and so it's it's interesting to see how that's going to work out for these guys. And Washington is competing at a really high level right now, which I think goes to show going back to Kevin's original question, it goes to show that when Washington can compete on the same level as maybe in Alabama now, that it the, the whole landscape's changed completely. Right. So any do we, any any other thoughts on the NIL stuff right now? Nope. Next. No. Next. Okay. All right, guys. Well, we're, we're going to take a quick break real, real quick to pay some bills, and then we will come right back with the final five questions. Uh, this is Dogman Radio. Chris Fetters, Kim Grinnell, Scott Eklund. We'll be right back. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back. This is Chris Fetters along with Kim Reynolds and Scott Eklund, Dogman Radio, doing a special December Ask Dogman Mailbag edition. And we've done the first five questions. And now we're going to go right into the back end here. And we've got now, I don't know how to pronounce this one from this handle, but it's B E T A Z K 41. Betas K 41, maybe? Either way, been here for 210 months. So we, we kudos to you, sir, or ma'am, or whoever you may be for, for, for sticking with us for so long. Now, the question is, and this I think both you guys can answer this a little bit, how are the backup young offensive linemen developing, especially the offensive tackles, and what is the plan for next year with and without Roger Rosengarten? And we talked, Scott talked a little bit about this already. That's on you, Scott. Okay, are you talking about the article I published on? Well, uh, not just that, but we talked a little bit earlier in the podcast about okay. kind of what his future may or may not be yeah. depending on NIL gotcha. as yeah. opposed to a draft grade, that kind of thing. I'm I'm sticking with that. I think Roger Rosengarten's probably gone. So I think at at left ta- or, or at the tackle spots, you've got Jalen. Um, darn it, I just blew his name. Um, Clem. Jalen Clem uh, as uh, one of the guys that's going to be in the mix for a starting gig next year. Even if Rosengarten comes back, Clem is probably in in, uh, in right in that competition for Troy Fautanu's spot. Um, you know, you've got Sam Peacock, you got Robert Wersch. Um, neither neither of those guys seem like guys who are going to be starting material to me. Most of those guys are going to be depth guys, in my opinion, if they even stick around that long. So. Um, you're really turning your your focus toward getting a portal, some at least one tackle on the portal, possibly two, and then looking at um, what does it look like if um, you know Elisha Jaquette or uh, Henning Zachary Henning uh, is able to take over one of those spots. I from everything that I've heard, Zachary Henning, if, if besides Landon Hatchett who came in and played right away and burned his red shirt. Zachary Henning was the guy that everybody raved about um, in, from spring ball to, cause he showed up early. He, he showed up for spring ball. He looked good in fall camp. Uh, you can see he's got all those tools. He just needs to add more size and bulk. Um, I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but I think he's about 280, 285 pounds, somewhere in, in that range. He's listed at 6'5", 292. Oh, okay, 292. Okay, he carries it really well, though, because you can't really – I didn't see 292 on him. But if he can get up to right about 295, 300, and, and you know his strength is where they want it to be and his footwork is where they want it to be, I, I think the coaches are pretty excited about him. Elijah Jaquette has a chance to be one of the best offensive linemen to come out of the uh, of the Husky football program. He's got all the tools you're looking for. He's going to be a future NFL left tackle somewhere uh, as long as he develops like we think he can. And I think a big part of it is going to be letting him get some reps this coming season. I don't think he's going to be a starter, but I think he's a guy who has a chance to be pretty damn good down the road. Um, if you're talking about uh, – you know, interior guys, uh, Sawane Fa'asolo and um, 
uh, drawing a blank on the other one. Oh, uh, Kale Tafai. Yeah, Kale Tafai. Um, you know, those those are guys that the coaches really like, but they they're they're at least a year or two away from being able to be contributors. So I would say this time next year is when we should be talking about those guys possibly making an impact in spring ball. I don't see either one of those guys doing much, but I could see Zach Henning getting in the mix for possibly um, maybe not a starting gig, but but possibly um, pushing for playing time at one of the tackle spots. And I think Elijah Jaquette along with uh, Jalen Clem. Those are kind of the three at the tackle spots that I'd be looking at and then throw in a a uh, eventual um, uh, portal guy into that mix. That's kind of what you're looking at at uh, tackle next year. If, if Rosengarten and Fautano do what I think they're going to do, which is leave. Yeah, I, w- I would also add, too, that uh, first of all, uh, Henning and, and Landon Hatchett were the two freshman offensive linemen that showed up early, showed up for spring. Uh, Henning looks like he's just going to be a left-sided player, whether it's guard or tackle. I think mm-hmm. they, they kind of like him on that side. And I think he's got the physicality. He can play either side. The interesting thing is that if you look at guys like Tafai and you look at Fasolo Fa physically is almost like a Julius Bulo clone. I mean, mm-hmm. he's 6'8", 290 right now, and he's going to easily be 6'8", probably 3'10", by maybe this time next year, if, if they, you know, where, however they want to do whatever they want to do with him. And then you look at Tafai, he's six, five, three twenty seven, And then, and he's almost literally exactly what Nate Kalepo's Nate Kalepo's six, six, three twenty seven. Tafai is six, five, yeah. twenty seven. You know what? One thing I didn't uh, take into situation is, um, you know, Julius Bulo does have the, uh, you know, the feet and everything to be able to move out and play right tackle. And he's got that length that you like. So that could be another situation where Washington lets um, him battle it out, gives Henning another year to to kind of season himself and get ready for things. And then um, you have Gear and Hatchet, Guard Memelar, Nate Kalepo, and maybe a portal guy come in and, and battle for playing time at the guard spots. Yeah, the guy to me that's the most intriguing right now is when you take a look at him is uh, Elijah Jaquette. He's six foot seven, six foot eight, but he's only 260 pounds. But you look at him and he's built like a power forward. He's going to be one of those really athletic guys. And if you take a look at what um, Roger Rosengarten does on pulling sometimes, you can easily see him uh, being that guy. He's just he passes the look test. And um, if, uh, to uh, Fai, is it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Kalei yeah, Fai is just physically impressive when you see him, and so is Fa Solo. And he's at 6'8 and 290 pounds, and he's got that build like a Rosengarten or even like um, a Trey Adams. So I think they've got some young guys. They've just got to work them in the depth, but uh, they've got some dudes. Yeah, and, and, and starting in spring, even if Rosengarten and Fautano both leave, I think there is a very good chance you could have both Kalepo and Bulo be the tackles to start. You just just based on what's available and what, because regardless of whether they play inside or outside next fall, they're going to need to have some tackle reps. They're just, they're just going to need to have them. Hey Scott, didn't Fautanu start inside and then move outside? Yes. Uh, Well, so he played tackle in high school, but because of his build, um, he was originally recruited as a guard, but he could play tackle if you needed him to. And then um, he started off at, uh inside when um uh he he started off inside and then moved outside uh, he i think he played inside as a uh redshirt freshman 
in 2021 in the Apple Cup, right? If I'm remembering correctly. And then he moved outside uh, when Jackson Kirkland was ruled out um, and was still healing up for the first couple games last year. And then he moved inside and Jackson Kirkland was outside and things weren't going that well. So they flipped those guys. And ever since basically, I think mid-season last year, I mean, he's got like 18 to 20 starts at left tackle. And I think that's that's uh, that's where he's been like right now. Like right now, guys, if I had to project what the spring offensive line would look like without Rosengarten and Faltanu, I would say I'd, I'd put I think Bulow would be your left tackle. Then I think inside, then you'd have Memelar at your left guard, which is where he always was before he got hurt. Then you'd have Brailsford. Then you'd have Gear and Hatchet. And then you'd have Julius Bulow. And then Landon Hatchet would be getting reps at both center and the guard spots, so he could play either one of the three interior spots. And I think That's you might see—I think you might see one of those uh, guys that didn't play this year. I think you might see a breakout from one of those guys. Yeah, and I well, I think Clem is probably battling Kalepo for that that left tackle gig. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I would see it, at least starting out next year, regardless of. And if they get Rosengarten back, then it just makes it so that you just push Julius Bulow back inside. You've got Bulow at right guard. You've got Rosengarten at right tackle. And you've got that pretty much shored up because that's what they are right now. And I think with Clem, the question going to be on with him is uh, as a tackle. He's six foot five, but he's 280. You know, what kind of weight is he going to put on? I, mm-hmm. I think he'll come in at 290, 295. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, the offseason off with, with Ron McKeefrey and those guys is going to be absolutely huge. And granted, they're going to be a little bit behind because typically they're going to want to try to get a lot of stuff started around now and do a lot more of those things that they could. But because they're still in season, they're going to be a little bit more behind. But I suspect they'll ramp up pretty pretty quickly once winter quarter starts. All right, next. Yes. This one is from Laragon6031. Longtime subscriber. Yeah, been well, been with us 81 months. So appreciate that. Their question is, now they've got like about six questions here. So I'm sorry, dude. We asked for one and done. (laughs) So this is, and this is a pretty open-ended question. So we can go a lot of different ways with this. And it's, we've already kind of dropped on it a little bit already. How do you see traditional recruiting, the portal, and NIL changing the way UW puts its roster together? Well, so a lot of his questions were kind of related to that. Just it, are we going to get a QB from the portal every year? Yeah, you know, it's, like it's, that. yeah. So we, roster construction is, is very, very simple right now. Yeah. Because you've got two things that you look at. You've got your high school kids and you've got your portal. Yeah. And, and I mean, the thing and you can look at it like the draft and free agency, basically. But the thing is, these teams have um, you have to look at it as the way UW looks at it as. And one of the things that the coaches have said, they said, we really like our young wide receivers, but we're not ready to throw them out and have them be wide receiver one when we go out and play a, a schedule like we're going to play next year. So we want to get those guys seasoning and and let those guys see what it's like playing against some of these new secondaries that they're going to be facing. But we're not ready for them to be. That's why they're going to go out and get two or three receivers, depending on how many guys uh, decide to return. If if Jalen McMillan comes back, maybe you don't bring in an extra guy. Maybe maybe if Jalen Polk shocks everybody and comes back, maybe you don't need to go get one at all. But but I think you, you have to realize that if Washington wants to maintain the success that they're at, you know, at this level, we all think they're going to take a step back. 
but maybe not fall back to like seven and five. If you want to be re- remaining like at nine and three, 10 and two, whatever that is, if that's where you want to remain, you have to bring in portal guys that have experience, starting experience at other places. Maybe it's at a Mac school or Mountain West school, or it's a guy who was maybe in the rotation at an SEC school that wants to play right away. That's Those are the guys you have to go out and get. So I think mostly your construction of your roster is going to be um, you know, high school kids, but yep. you're going to, you're going to, you want your top end guys to be those portal guys. Yeah. And you can, we can wax philosophically about this all day. And as a rabbit hole that you know, Chris, you know how much I hate rabbit holes. I think it comes down to something. It's pretty simple. You build your culture with the high school guys, you fill in the gaps with the portal guys. And that's just pretty much, I think what Washington's uh, philosophy is going to be. They might bring in a depth guy here or there, but they're going to bring in portal guys that are contributors at other schools. But, you know, I think it just comes down to without going down into the rabbit hole starters. I mean, your high school guys are where your culture is, and that's going to be your base. That's going to be a bulk of the team. And the portal guys are going to be uh, guys that will fill in the gaps. And, and every year you're going to have some different situations because like at quarterback right now, the portal quarterback that they want to get, they want to get as a bridge. They literally want just a one-year guy because they've got Austin Mack. They're ready to go, but he just needs that year to be able to season, to be able to get uh, you know everything in line so that basically by 2020, 2025, he's rolling. And so that's a situation where you may only get a guy for a year. I'd say generally speaking, especially with this culture, and the way that they want to fit guys in and, and and get the right character fits, I think they want to try to find guys that have multiple years. If they can find yeah. them, those are the guys that they want. Multiple at least years. they want two-year guys at least, except yeah. the, unless that, like you said, like a quarterback to f- fill the gap for Austin Mack. So. Right. And so I, I agree 100% with Kim. You, you build the culture through the high school kids. I'd say the other thing from a pure roster construction standpoint, which is what Laragon was asking. The offensive line is where you build from the high school. You yeah. build that guys, you build that as a cohesive unit. There's a reason why there's been names in the past about recruiting uh, groups of players for the offensive line, like the cascade front. There is, there's a reason why they put these guys together and fit them all together into one class so that they can develop and they can grow and they be, yeah. they can become one. And just and one more. That's huge. Yeah. And just one more thing. If you're if you're a guy out there looking for the biggest and best NIL deal, Washington is probably not going to be the place for you. And you saw something. Yeah, I don't know who put it out there, but it was on Caleb DeBoer's page. I think it was one of the um, uh, recruits that he was visiting, um, you know, talking about a transition, uh, transactional coach versus a tra- uh, transcending coach. You know, so um, you're coming to Washington because of the program, the culture, the education, and a lot more reasons. And uh, we saw a lot of this, especially down at USC and a little bit down at Oregon as well. You know, some of these players with the big NIL deals, you know, they're playing for the they're playing for the name on the back instead of the name on the front of the jersey. And I think it causes a lot of problems in the in the locker room where you get those type of guys where it's just all about the NIL. And I just don't see Washington going after those kind of guys. Yeah, I'd add too that you know typically there's a lot of issues in terms of that that it's it's interesting how much things change they stay the same because in high school you get these stars these four and five star guys that come out and they've been told oh all you need to do is is, is put in your three years and then you'll be ready for the NFL and then you leave and then we find out six years later they're still with the same program 
it's the NIL guys, it's the same thing. They're being told all these things, these great transactions that they can have, all this kind of stuff. And if they have multiple years, often you'll see them stay for that second year. We saw it with Michael Penix. You might see it this year with a Dylan Johnson or Jabbar Muhammad. But you, you, you've seen all of these guys that had the potential. Look at all the guys last year that came back that could have gone, like an Odunze or a Trice or a McMillan. All yep. these guys made the decisions to stay. It's the culture that really is the fundamental piece of all this. And it's part of the big reason why, even though traditional recruiting is being changed fundamentally by the portal, the culture is the thing that always keeps it all tuned together. And so yep. if you're a head coach right now, guys, you still have to have that that extra ride or two in your back pocket for the portal guys, because it's not just in December, but it's also in April and May when when guys decide to leave after spring ball and they've seen the writing on the wall and they go, oh, I just I, there's no way I'm going to get time here. I got to go somewhere else. That happens all the time. And you can still have an impact next fall, as we saw yep. it with Wayne Talapapa. We saw it with him. He came in late. Didn't get to Washington until fall camp. Still almost ran for a thousand yards last year. So these things can all be done a multitude of different ways. Yep. But again, I think with Kim, I'm 100% in agreement. The the underpin and the foundation of this whole thing is culture, and that's what differentiates Washington from a lot of schools. My favorite word, Chris. Next. Okay, we are rolling here, and oh, we've got a we've got a movie trivia username here we've got eddie adams from torrance anybody want to take a guess as to what movie that was uh deer hunter no not close (laughs) no idea eddie Uh, big the big uh, lebowski i don't know that's boogie nights boys boogie nights okay so anyways eddie adams from torrance i'm assuming eddie's a guy in this one he asked which young player or players do you see taking a big step next year and potentially earning a key role? So again, another big open-ended question, Scott. I'm going to start with you. Where do you think this goes? Um, well, I think you could see Jeremy Bernard, depending on if Jalen McMillan and Jalen Polk go or stay. I think he's going to have a huge role for Washington's offense next year. I know that he had a big role this year and in, in some in some key uh, moments. Um, so I'm going to say him. I'm going to say. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to say Jalen Clem because I think he's going to eventually win that left tackle job. Um, and then I'll go to on defense. Um, one guy I think that you could see step up to have a much bigger role is going to be, uh, Javon Parker. Um, I think he'll be in the rotation quite a bit. He was this year anyway, but I think you'll see him get a lot more reps. And then in the secondary, I, I could see Thaddeus Dixon, man. I if Jabbar Muhammad doesn't come back, I think Thaddeus Dixon is a guy who could easily start. Um, it all depends on who they get in the portal. Um, and uh, Vincent Holmes is another guy that I that I would throw out there. That I think the coaches are really excited about him and what he he brings to the table. Yeah, I think Jeremy Bernard's a superstar waiting to happen. I compare him a lot to Debo Samuels. You've t- seen him be able to take the handoffs, but I see a lot bigger role for Jeremy Bernard. The I think the thing that's going to be interesting for me is to keep an eye on Jeremy and see what he looks like now and what he looks like at the beginning of next season because I can see him easily putting on another 10 pounds and being that Debo Samuel type of guy. Okay, anybody on defense? Um. 
I like Vincent Holmes a lot. Um, he's a speed guy over there on the defensive side of the ball. So I think he could make a big impact. And maybe I'm off base a little bit, but I've kind of um, look at him like who was the guy from, was it from Kamiak, the running back uh, who played defensive back that. Uh, Derek Bradley? No, 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 no. That had to retire. Justin. Um, oh, not Justin. Oh, Glenn. no. Um, he, he played. No, he played at. Uh, he played up at Marysville. Talk about yeah. Austin. Austin Joyner. Austin. Yeah. I kind of see Vincent Holmes as an Austin Joyner type of guy, so keep an eye on uh, Vincent Holmes. Okay. I'm going to go with two guys on each side of the ball as well. Offensively, I'm going to start on that offensive line, and I think, honestly, I think I think, uh, I think Landon Hatch, or Garen Hatchett's going to have. Now, sorry, Landon, I, you're, I know you're going to have a big year as well at some point. But I think you're in Hatchet. I think next year is going to be the year he's, he really steps up because I think he's got the versatility to play either of those guard spots if needed. And I think they're I think those guys are going to get opportunities because ultimately if Rosengarten and Fautanu leave, which I think is a very strong possibility, especially Troy, that there's going to be a little bit of shuffle. And I do see Julius Bulo and Nate Kalepo having to, to, to move out a little bit and get some time there. And if that happens, guys like you're in Hatchet and Memel are going to have to go inside. I think you're in Hatchet's prize for a big year. I would right. say Josh Cuevas at tight end should also be primed for a big year. I think this year was his year to get to kind of get to know everything, get his feet wet, so to speak. I think he's a huge focal point in the offense, as much because they're losing Devin Culp and Jack Westover. And they're going to need, and like Ryan Otten, for instance, there's nothing to suggest that Ryan Otten's going to be available to do a lot of stuff right off the bat. If he did, that would be the ultimate kind of explosion onto the scene. But Josh Cuevas has done enough to to kind of fill in there. And I think right now it's him and Quentin Moore are going to be the guys that fill in for Westover and Culp starting 2024. Defensively, Jacob Lane, man, he really, really impressed me. He was not a name that I was expecting as a true freshman to come in and play as much as he did and have an impact. He definitely had an impact. I think he is going to be one of those guys that has a huge offseason, gets bigger, faster, stronger the whole bit, and he really is a guy that I think people should watch out for. And then in the secondary, he showed flashes when he needed to, but there was such a merry-go-round at safety, it was kind of hard to tell sometimes. I think Mikel Esteem. I think he could have a big year in 2024. I think his football IQ is off the charts. I think he's he's very good in that way, along with like Cameron Fabikulainen, and he's a ball hawk. Had a couple picks and all that kind of stuff. I think he has a chance to have a big year in 2024. Yeah, a couple more guys just real quick. Uh, Denzel Boston, who showed some things this year, and also uh, Tayshawn Lyons, that wide receiver. Okay. All right. So Scott, are we done? With that one? Yep, next. Okay. Yeah, I'm good. Okay, now we have one from the Penix Mightier. Now, he's been around for 205 months, so that is the ultimate. Like, he must have known something. I mean, for, like, years. I mean, that is, like, the, the, the most uh, prescient username I think I've ever seen in the history of dogman.com. How do you know that 10 years ago, that the Penix Mightier? Either way. I think you can change in your Probably. screen name. You no, 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 We're not going there. We're not going there. Okay. Either way, we got the question from the Penix Mightier. said, assuming you guys love the Huskies so much that you made a career of it, how much has your inner kid enjoyed this season or do you regret 
being so ingrained in the day-to-day that you feel like you've missed on the moments? Either I want you guys. I, I'm st- as, as much as I uh, put on my journalist hat and am impartial when I'm covering games and and doing interviews and all those di- and you know covering recruiting and all those different things. It's been fun to watch. I mean, I, I I was at the University of Washington when they won a national title back in 1991. I mean, it was special. I didn't realize how special it w- was <laughs> at that point in my life because I was 20 years old. But, um, yeah, I this has been fun to watch. I don't think we yes, we do get caught up in the moments and everything like that. And we don't get to celebrate after games like you guys do. You regular fans do when when Washington wins. We also don't get to drown our sorrows and beer and all that after games because we got to do all our, our post game coverage. But that being said, I don't think I've missed out on any moments. You know, I mean, this this has been the most dialed in I've been during a season. Um, I've watched. I, you know, after big wins over Oregon, over Utah, the Michigan State game, all those different games, I've gone and been able to listen to all the different podcasts that are out there. Joel Klatt, the ESPN Game Day crew, the all the different things that I've I've listened to. It's been it's been a blast listening to them rave about the team that I grew up rooting for. Hey, just uh, real quick. Um on the young guys, I forgot to mention one guy, so I just want to make sure I get that guy out there. Devin Bryant, the linebacker out of Carson, California. St. John Bosco, I think he's going to be a monster next year. Um, That's, but, a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Yep. Um, this year's been different, and um, Chris, you know me. It's all about the relationships with the players, the coaches, uh, the administrations, and uh, it's been kind of a weird year without Jen Cohen being down there on the sidelines and uh, experiencing sideline Jen and uh, Jay Hillbrands, they built this and they have a big hand in getting this. And, you know, texting with Jen after the USC game, after the Oregon game and after the game last week, it's uh, those guys were struggling a little bit. Um, they know all these kids personally and not being able to see uh, what we've been able to see, the relationships that we've built with some of these guys like a Carson Bruner, or a Michael Penix, a Dylan Johnson, and watching how difficult it was for Cam Davis to come into this year knowing he was going to be the guy and the kind of spring and the fall he had. And just look at the pain, just the look on his face, especially down in Las Vegas, uh, you know, just so, you know, the experiences with some of these guys and then going in, I'd say that the games this year have been more electric with going into undefeated and having that uh, bullseye on your uh, on your chest going into USC I've never seen a game at USC as wound up as we saw this year uh, Husky Stadium for Utah Husky Stadium for Oregon were electric the experience down at uh, down at uh, Las Vegas so I don't know you know just also just one other thing Troy Dan and coming in and watching Troy down on the sidelines. He's not up in the. He's not up in the suites during the game. He's down on the field, eagle eyeing. He's not missing much. And some of the comments from him looking around about Pac-12 referees have been kind of funny. I, yeah, this is normal. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't think we've missed out on a lot, you know. So um, I'm on the sidelines for the game, so I don't see what you guys see up on the field, but I see different things. But uh, it's been a fun year. Um, I, the, the only year that I would say was as fun as when Rick was here and we went to the Rose Bowl because, you know, you can say a lot of things about Rick and Scott, Chris, you'll agree with me because you were there. Chris, Rick made things fun and uh, uh, it was different, but it was definitely fun with Rick. But uh, this is right up there with that. Yeah. And, he, and Rick did a lot of things behind the scenes with the culture that 
he will never get recognized for. And I don't think he would want to get recognized for in terms of some of the things just, you know, that were personal to 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 diehard Washington fans, for instance. Um, but this is like a two part question because he kind of couched it in, 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 in a couple different ways. Unfortunately, because I've been doing this thing for basically 25 years, it's all filtered through the job now. So when they said how much of your inner kid has enjoyed this season, I've enjoyed it immensely. But mostly I've enjoyed it immensely because the fans have been able to enjoy it immensely. And when the fans get to enjoy it immensely, it means less moderation for us. And when there's less moderation for us, that means we have a bigger smile on our faces every single day when we wake up. Because we don't have to wake up going, okay, when I turn the computer on, what am I going to see this morning? And so when Scott talks about those things, like being able to – Check the the podcasts and the Joel Klatz and the Cover Three guys and and the unnecessary roughness guys and and some of the other you know big time podcasts that are out there and stuff. I get to do that for a living. And so when when the question is asked, do I regret you know being so ingrained the day to day that I feel like I've missed out in the moments? Never, not for a single moment. And that's because I get paid to do this for a living, and it's stealing money. Hey it's Chris, absolutely stealing. He talks about inner kid. Do I have an inner kid? Your inner kid is you. You are your <laughs> inner kid. There is no difference. Yeah, I'm a child, man. I am an absolute child at times. So, so to to be able to do what I love and and not say that I would do it for free because I still have to figure out a way to live, but to be able to do what I do for a living and really not even consider it a job, there is absolutely no way that I ever regret a single moment of being able to do what I've done with Dogman, And that's the beautiful part about it is because in some ways you get to kind of serve your inner kid a little bit, but at the same time you have to shelve it because you know, you're so ingrained in the day to day that it's important to get all the stuff out that we can so that you guys can enjoy it. And that brings me a lot of satisfaction. Hey, Chris, I don't know if I told you this or not, and she better not get mad at me for sharing this, but, uh, after the, um, after the Apple Cup going to the Pac-12 championship game, I got a text from Jen Cohen uh, because Jen had been at University of Washington for 23 years and we started Dogman back in 1997. So we've been doing this a long time and we've known Jen for a long time. And she just said it's different with guys like, you know, she mentioned you and me. It's different to share the experience. And that's why it's so hard on her being away. Because she says, you know, we're one of the few that have been around as long as we have. We've been through Lambright. We've been through Tyrone and Keith. 2008. Yeah. Kim, been, Kim, Kim, she also mentioned that she remembered the story about me trying to quit. Trying to quit. Yeah. <laughs> Are you trying to quit? So she just says she was really happy for us because we're some of the few that have been through the wars and stop and think about this, Chris, who are we working with these days? Who are we really working with on a regular basis? That's been through the wars that we have. I mean, there's, is there anybody left? Well, there's a there's a lot of people in networks that we've that we've kind of yeah. gone through the wars with, but they're not can, they're not directly connected to UW. It's the Brandon Huffmans, it's the Greg Bigginses, it's the Blair Angulos, it's 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 those types of people that that have really helped us with recruiting and yep. some of the other issues with college football, but they haven't been here on the day to day. Yeah, the only guy I can think of that's been through the wars that's still around long enough has been through the wars that we have. It's been around longer than us, Bart. Yeah, I mean, Bart Fulmer, the equipment guy. Well, no, but I'm talking about from like the media perspective. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. you, you look at a, like a, like a Larry Stone, for instance, 
you know, Larry's been around a really, really long time. He just retired and congratulations to Larry, but there are not too many around that are still now down. Rayleigh is another guy that that's been around a long time too, but he took a little bit of a break and is coming back into it. And so, but yeah, continually it's been, it's been tough to find peers and stuff because this stuff changes all the time. And, and um, you know, with the different mediums and now the newspapers having to try to figure out a way to slice bread with the internet, it's just a, it's a whole different animal. All right. Next. All right, guys, we are on our last question. Thank God. And it's a biggie. So get ready. This is Cali dog 45 been here 141 months. Thank you. Cali dog. Question is out of the portal quarterbacks. Who's your pick? Like we get a pick. <laughs> First of all, like a school actually gets to pick. It doesn't, uh, you know, either way, who would you pick in a, in a, in a perfect world? I guess. Kim being the CEO, your, your choice. The guy from Mississippi state. No, I can't. What's his name? Will 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 Rogers. Yeah, Will Rogers from Mississippi State. So, uh, second leading all-time passer in the SEC. He's a one-year guy. Perfect bridge. Some people talk he's about an air raid uh, quarterback. I don't care. I like old quarterbacks. I like you know. It's just uh, like Coach Hopkins says. You know, when you're dealing with 23 and 24 year olds, it's a lot different than dealing with 18 and 19 year olds. So I think he'd be the perfect bridge between. Uh, this and Austin Mack. Um, boy, I mean, if if I had my absolute choice, it would be Riley Leonard, probably. Um, the guy from Duke can run around a little bit, do a few things. I like him as a passer. Um, you know, there there's some other guys that I that I'd be willing to look at. I mean, um, who's the guy? Uh, I, I'm looking at the portal thing here, and it's not updating for me like it should be, but. Um, who's the guy from, uh, that Washington almost had last year during the cycle and he opened things back up and he's at, or he, he was at Kansas state and actually played. I'm trying oh, to Avery, Avery Johnson. Yeah. Avery Johnson. That would probably be the guy that I would like to bring in. The problem is that impacts Austin Mack. And so you got to kind of, got to kind of wait, wait getting him but if you're just going on who i like the most of all the quarterbacks that have entered the portal he would be the guy it's interesting that that there are a lot of washington fans that have gravitated towards guys not just experienced guys but also guys that can run around a little bit you tell you talked about riley leonard obviously dylan gabriel is one of the most highly coveted guys because he's coming out of oklahoma but he's proven he's old he's experienced cam ward washington state obviously old experienced uh, can run around a little bit, but Kim is right. I mean, Will Rogers really, when you look at it, he's the guy that kind of fits the system. And, and unfortunately he was just put in a really, really bad situation when coach Leach passed away and they had a new quarter, a new coach with a new system. And it just, it was, it was oil and water just didn't mix. Well, also team former teammate with Dylan Johnson. This is a huge part of it as well. And he could probably get Dylan to come back for a year. One of the reasons why I think Will Rogers would be a great fit, too, is because I think there's a motivation piece there. Because not only is he a perfect bridge, as Kim described, just the one-year fit, and he's experienced enough where he could come in and not really lose a step because he understands in general what's going on. Obviously, he'd need some time to, to bet in with the terminology. But the fact is, he's got something to prove. He has got something to prove because he was on top of the world going into this last season. And if and if Mike Leach hadn't passed away, he would he would be the, 
I mean, I probably a no doubter he'd be the all time uh, passing leader in the SEC. By this the way, time, was it this time last year that Leach was passing that Leach had his issue? I maybe I can't remember off the top okay. of my head. Okay. But but bottom line is it, it, he he is in a prime position and Washington is in a prime position to give him a lifeline to be able to resurrect his career and really give him a boost because this is an offense I wouldn't say it's tailor made for his strengths but it fit it looks like a really good fit. So that's that's how I feel about it. So I I think in a perfect world I'd say Will Rogers. All right, let's wrap it up, guys. I think, did we? Yeah. Did we wrap it up? Was that the wrap-up? That's a wrap-up, I guess. That's the wrap-up. <laughs> we could do we could do a bonus question if you want. Mm, no, I'm good. Because this is a it was a C, it was a college football playoff question about the top four. Who would you pick? Okay. Um I have one bonus question. If Scott, you can feel free to answer this if you'd like, or you can just choose not to answer it. All right. You ready? Okay. When we started the podcast, why were you out of breath? (laughs) Um, Well, the doorbell rang right before we started the podcast, and I knew I had one of my wife's gifts coming, and it's a pricey thing. And um, so I was like, hey, guys, the doorbell just rang. I'm going to go grab the what I had as I'm as I open the door. There is someone walking away with my gift. And so I had to run run them down. So, yeah, and I think it surprised the heck that a big chubby dude like me could run that fast. And I, I think I even yelled at him. I used to play wide receiver. You better drop that damn thing. <laughs> let's, let's be clear. Let's be clear, people. Scott didn't tackle him. The, no. the, the dude dropped the gift. Yeah, he did. And, and so I he, didn't. So no, no, there was no violence required. No, no. He dropped it, and so my wife's gift is still intact. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Hey, for all of us at Dogman.com, that is Chris Fetters over there. That is former wide receiver Scott Eklund, Scott Eklund, Porch Pirate, Porch Pirate Police, and uh, I'm Kim Reynolds. Uh, we'll see you next time.